And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And of course, the big story, and all eyes are focused on it, the uh, transition in Washington, D.C., the uh, inauguration. We will get to that uh, transition later in the podcast, but uh, Clark and I have been stationed at the State House all week, week two of the legislative session. Things sort of starting to churn a little bit. It sort of grinds along slowly but surely in the early weeks of the session. And uh, we've had a chance to look a little bit deeper at uh, what may be the biggest education issue of the year, the career ladder and funding for teacher salaries. We sure did, Kevin. Yeah, as we record this, the second week of the legislative session is coming to a close. And I want to start uh, extra credit today by talking about what was probably our top story um, this week. It was something that you worked on, Kevin, but I want to call back uh, for context just to last week when the governor delivered his State of the State address. He talked about his number one priority being education, and that number one priority under the education umbrella is umbrella is teacher pay. Uh, this would be the third year of the legislature's signature teacher pay law, the career ladder. And our top story, Kevin, was you had a chance to dig into the first two years of the career ladder, look at the numbers and see whether that moved the needle uh, at all. But uh, tell us a little bit about your findings and what the numbers are saying after the first two years of this, uh, what's described as a five-year plan. Right. So two years, $75 million later, we had a chance to look at the salary numbers, and the average salary for teachers is up by 5% from where it was in 2015. Now, averages are, you know, there's such kind of a crude measure of what's going on, uh, especially when you're talking about 115 school districts and close to 50 charters. Uh, things are all over the map. I mean, you've got uh, some districts and charters had double-digit increases in teacher pay on average. Others actually saw their average salary go down, and that happens when experienced teachers leave or they retire, and they're replaced by uh, teachers who are kind of getting into the uh, the ground level of the uh, the ground floor of, of the salary structure. And you've got wide gaps between districts. I mean, you've got Blaine County's averages above seventy thousand. You've got a bunch of districts that are uh, ahead of averages below forty thousand. So. The numbers are really kind of all over the place, and but they're interesting, and they give you a sense of the bigger picture of what's going on statewide. The, the 5% increase uh, in aggregate gives you a sense of where this money has gone. The big question that I kind of wanted to try to, to get at, and there are no easy answers to it yet. The governor talked about it in the state of the state. Supporters of the career ladder have talked about it all along. The idea here is to help districts recruit teachers and hang on to them, recruitment and retention. And it's really too early to tell if the needle is moving there. That's something that it's hard to measure right now. We're only two years in. That was kind of my takeaway. Yeah, exactly. The career letter, I believe that was passed in the 2015, 2015 legislative right. session. And that was really a response to these concerns uh, the, the people heard loud and clear at the state house, which were the concerns were that morale was low among the teaching profession. Uh, the teachers were leaving the profession. Uh, and if they weren't leaving the profession outright, in some cases, they were leaving the state uh, to go across uh, to our neighboring states uh, to take higher pay mm -hmm. as teachers there. And so that was really uh, the the context, the impetus behind uh, the career ladder being passed in 2015. Overall, and, and it's kind of an estimated $250 million project. Right. And 
anecdotally, school superintendents talk about things that they're seeing that they think are encouraging. I talked to George Boland, the uh, superintendent in Idaho Falls, and he said that for the first time in years, Idaho Falls was actually able to recruit recent graduates, new graduates from the University of Wyoming. And the trend line has been teachers leaving Idaho to go to Wyoming because uh, there are higher salaries uh, to be had there. So he was encouraged by that. But, you know, he's also saying Idaho Falls just adopted the career ladder in 2016. They took a year to study it and figure out how to implement it. So he's he's saying, fairly enough, that it's really hard at this point to be able to conclude what this is doing really in, in hard numbers in terms of recruitment and, and retention. I think that's a significant issue. I'd encourage folks to head over to IdahoEdNews.org and read the story for themselves. You break down the numbers and, and you've got some interviews in there. I do just want to point out it's complicated stuff, as you mentioned earlier, and the career ladder sets the amount of money that the state sends to the school districts. School districts still independently negotiate and set salaries every single year at the local level, and so there is some variation from district to district. And, right, that's, Kevin? and that's really important to remember that at the end of the day, what the legislature is doing with this career ladder is it is a salary allocation. It's not necessarily a salary schedule. It can be. Some districts have adopted the career ladder and sure. the structure of it and are going full bore with it. Other districts are uh, uninterested in using it because they prefer their, their existing schedule. They think it works better for their their workforce. Uh, they feel like maybe it works better for their more experienced teachers. Other districts have tried to get it implemented. Uh, Nampa District, uh, when I talked to David Peterson, the superintendent there, he'd like to go with the career ladder. Uh, the teachers' union is reluctant to go there. So... This is a salary allocation, and one thing we learned this week is that the salary allocation for year three of the career ladder could be even more expensive than we thought. We knew this was going to be an expensive year, kind of the balloon payment, but the cost is now up to $62 million. And let's talk about that for a minute. You, you looked at this also. You covered this. But there was uh, some unexpected uh, growth uh, in, in terms of student populations across the state. But, but what does that mean when we say growth, and, and, and how does that uh, trigger an increase uh, in the career ladder or in uh, the proposed budget? Right. In a nutshell, what we're measuring, what the state is measuring, is uh, student growth and how that translates into classrooms around the state, support units uh, you know, is the technical term. We're really talking about classrooms yeah, here when you yeah. get right down to it. And Idaho's going to have to add more classrooms around the state than they expected because there are more students than, than expected. So when you do all of that, you know, obviously that means more teachers. So it means more money to go into this uh, this pay pool uh, to go into year three of the uh, the career ladder. So the estimate has gone from $58 million to $62 million. Bear in mind, the first two years of the career ladder cost about $75 million combined. Right. This is a big chunk of money relative to the past couple of years. Yeah, uh, that, that's a good report. You can check that out. We've been talking about the budget. We've been talking about teacher pay and teacher morale and retention and recruitment. Uh, the minority party, Idaho Democrats, unveiled uh, a plan earlier this week uh, that seemed to be aimed at retracting teachers in rural settings. Uh, tell us a little bit about the proposal, Kevin, and what they're trying to do. What they unveiled is a proposal that would allow rural teachers to get loan forgiveness uh, on their student loans if they go to districts, rural districts, isolated districts, where you have high poverty and low student performance. The, the thinking here from the Democrats is that 
the career ladder itself isn't going to do enough to help rural districts recruit teachers. You need to do something in addition. Still some unanswered questions about this proposal. It's unclear exactly how you would define a, a high poverty or a low performing rural district. I mean, there are definitely measures you can use, but it's kind of, it would be kind of up to the State Department of Education to figure out the metrics. So it's hard to tell how many districts, how many teachers, and how much this would cost. Uh, Matt Erpolding, the uh, minority leader, suggested that uh, you'd be looking at maybe a trailer bill, uh, a spending bill in the three to five million dollar range to, to pay for the loan forgiveness program. So Really early, there's not been a hearing, there's not been an attempt to get this bill introduced yet. We'll keep an eye on it and see uh, if this proposal has any momentum behind it. We will keep an eye on it. And I want to jump off from here and talk about you haven't seen a bill introduced yet. We haven't seen any education bills introduced in the House and the Senate and has we've been... really minor kind of housekeeping bills so far in the Senate. Nothing of, uh, of real uh, impact or import. And the reason is, is the education committees are still meeting, but they're, they're working on, before they really get into introducing and vetting legislation, the first maybe two, three weeks of the session is really uh, reserved for this rulemaking process. And it's complicated stuff. A, a lot of our listeners will remember that there was a constitutional amendment on November's ballot, uh, basically reinforcing the legislature's ability uh, mm-hmm. in the Constitution to, to complete this rulemaking process. And that's what both committees are doing uh, pretty much on a daily basis at the State House right now. And it will pick up uh, as we move forward in the session. But it is nuanced, it's, it's arcane, it's in the weeds, but there's some important things that are going to be covered during the rulemaking mm-hmm. process. Yeah. Everything from potentially taking a look at proposed new science standards, which are already in effect on a temporary basis uh, in the and state a of Idaho. controversial issue from last legislature. Controversial session. issue from last year that was rejected. Other academic standards. Uh, the state's accountability system, uh, which the state has not had an official uh, accountability system at any point under state superintendent uh, Sherry Burra's administration. This is a new accountability system that's being developed to pair with the Federal Every Student Succeeds Act. Uh, there's also rules uh, regarding uh, graduation requirements, mm-hmm. and you yep. had a chance to look uh, at one of the rules uh, that has to do with the controversial SBAC test, sometimes called the ISAT by Smarter Balance test. Uh, what did that or rule have to ISAT. do with? It goes by a lot of different yeah. names, but the, the point of the matter is... Um, The Senate Education Committee signed off on an idea that is in effect right now. It just makes this permanent, the idea that uh, high school students should not be required to pass the ISAT in order to graduate high school. So the committee voted to uphold this rule and sort of make it indefinite. It's already in effect. State Board of Education proposed it. Uh, Senate Education Committee endorsed it unanimously. There was some discussion. Uh, Dean Mortimer, the chair of Senate Education, uh, expressed not really opposition because he wound up voting for the rule, maybe more consternation, concern that we don't really have a an exit exam. We don't really have a metric, a requirement for high school students. Uh, and so he's kind of musing about the need for something. But uh, at the end, the consensus of the committee was the ISAT should not be a, a high school graduation requirement. Now, high school kids will still have to take the test. Right. And it's still used as a measure of high school performance. It's still an accountability measure for the schools. But you don't have to worry about reaching a certain score or a certain proficiency level in order to graduate, uh, right. right? Right. If you're a high school junior, 
uh, going to graduate in 2018, you don't have to worry about passing the ISAT in order to graduate high school. And uh, that would go on in perpetuity as long as this rule is in effect. So sometimes these rules, they get arcane. Sometimes the discussion becomes very uh, nuanced and very technical. But sometimes these rules have a real impact on what's going on in the classroom and how uh, what's going on in, in student lives. Oh, you're right on. The Idaho Core Standards, uh, the controversial Idaho Core Standards in English Language Arts and Math came through a rule that was passed uh, by the legislature. So that process is still going. I'm watching the House. That's ramping up a little bit more slowly. Uh, but when they do, uh, if they do take up the science standards, uh, the accountability system, we will have full coverage of that at idahoednews.org. I want to leave the State House, though, uh, for a minute and talk about a couple of things going on in Washington, D.C. Before we get to the inauguration, I want to talk about uh, President Donald Trump's Education Secretary uh, nominee, Betsy DeVos. She had her confirmation hearing this week in front of the U.S. Senate's Help Committee, which is the Health, Education, Labor, Labor and, and Pensions, Pensions Committee. Committee. Very unfortunate acronym, yeah. the Help Committee. I watched part of this, Kevin, you are, you on, are on, the interwebs on C-SPAN, and it was kind of fascinating when you look at who's on this committee. U.S. Senator Lamar Alexander is the chair, but you've got Bernie Sanders on that committee. You've got Al Franken. Uh, you've got... Uh, Orrin Hatch, you've got Rand Paul on that committee, and they all took turns, they all took about five minutes asking questions of uh, Betsy DeVos, who is uh, Trump's education secretary nominee, and a lot of things came up from school choice to vouchers to uh, a, a to number potential of Potential grizzlies. That, that was kind of the, the sound bite that everybody kind of latched onto, and when I say everybody, I mean everybody, you know. Everybody's snarky kind of latched on to Twitter. that. The, the, yeah, so the Twitterverse really had a, a field day with uh, Betsy DeVos saying that maybe uh, schools should have the option of having guns on campus because, you know, like uh, she cited a school in Wyoming that has concerns about uh, grizzlies on campus, grizzlies in the schools. Um, more substantive issues came up, though, and, and some real... Uh, Real pointed questions came up about Betsy DeVos's positions on school choice. She's an ardent advocate for vouchers, for charters, uh, for education savings account, the, the whole menu of school choice options she's on board with. So Democrats especially were really trying to drill down and make her answer questions about how much do you really support public schools? What will public schools look like under your uh, under your watch if you're if you're confirmed? Uh, questions about uh, some of her uh, her family's philanthropic uh, contributions in the past. Her business her, connections. Her business connections conflicts. to charter schools. Yeah. Uh, her family's uh, support in the past for uh, for groups that uh, support conversion therapy for, uh, for, for gay and lesbian students. A very controversial practice that uh, has been largely uh, challenged she says that she doesn't support it. You're looking at donations from way in the past. So a very fiery, very contentious hearing. And this has turned out to be a fairly controversial nomination. I mean, in the past, education secretary nominations maybe have not been as high profile as this one. You mentioned Lamar Alexander. He's a former education secretary himself. Yeah. Uh, this has tended not to be as... Uh, as high profile a, a nomination as this one is. It could come up for a vote next week. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll see how this uh, confirmation process plays out. Um, 
It's, it definitely bears watching. Yeah, and, and uh, for sure, it bears watching. And it's not the only thing going on in Washington, D.C. We both took a little we time out this morning uh, to watch the inauguration, to watch the transition uh, of power. I thought just uh, from a process standpoint, that's fascinating uh, to watch and, and to see the former presidents that were gathered there, to see President Trump and his family uh, being sworn in. And I, one of the things I enjoyed doing uh, was watching on the feed and online some of the photos to see if, if I could pick out folks from Idaho, if I could pick out folks that I recognized in the crowd. I did not see during the time that I was watching uh, Governor Otter, but there were photos that circulated. Uh, yes, this is photo making the rounds. Uh, it looked like the governor had a pretty good seat uh, for the speech. He was also wearing a, a clear plastic poncho. Uh, it know, was raining hard in Washington. It was City. raining hard. It looked it, cold. In the screenshot that I saw, he was the only person wearing a, a clear plastic poncho. Um, give him points for transparency, right? <laughs> right I mean, yeah. it is yeah, it, it is that if nothing else. Um, it, it looked maybe more in keeping with a, a Gallagher concert <laughs> right. than, than a, a, a an inauguration speech. But and you I, know, snark aside, you know, you know, it is kind of interesting to. to to watch this uh, process unfold, and as we talked about with uh, with the Trump cabinet, it'll be very uh, interesting to see how does this play out in terms of public policy in education and elsewhere. Yeah, and to be determined, uh, we obviously cover Idaho and the Idaho State House much closer, but we will uh, keep you guys abreast. We will have a rundown uh, of these important uh, right. national uh, issues, especially and, and, the confirmation and, and, and of we, Betsy DeVos. Right, and when we talk about DeVos, we didn't mention it in, in the segment before, I think there's still a lot of questions about how is she going to interpret and enforce the Every Student Succeeds Act, the new federal education law that Idaho and other states are trying to figure out how to comply with, and Idaho and other states believe gives uh, them a little bit more autonomy in terms of education policy at the state level. So lots of stuff to to sort out, and that's assuming that DeVos is, uh, is actually confirmed. That's still, you know... Remains to be seen. You know, there have been no Republican defections that I know of. So right now, it looks like she's got a path to confirmation. But we shall see. Yeah, we'll keep you guys updated. This week, in terms of daily action at the State House, was a little bit slow. That will not be the case next week, Kevin. And that's because next week is Education Week. They call it Education Week because the public schools budget and the colleges and universities and community college budgets will all have hearings uh, each weekday morning in front of the Joint Budget Committee. There are also a host of rallies associated with National School Choice Week. The State Department of Education has an open house on Monday. There's a STEM Action Center workshop on Tuesday. Uh, busy day for us, though, will be Thursday when Superintendent Sherry Ybarra makes her formal budget request. In September, she released early a preliminary budget request to add transparency to the budget process. She called for a 6.7% increase in public schools funding. One thing I want to look at next week and and plant kind of a seed in our listeners' mind is the Rural Schools Initiative. This Mm -hmm. was a big priority for the superintendent. It failed during the 2016 legislative session. She is bringing it back. Uh, She will ask for, I expect, another Mm $300,000 to get it up and running again. They're already shopping legislation around uh, to enable uh, the STEM Action Center, but the superintendent has a decision to make, and I will watch for this, because the Idaho School Boards Association in November said they would endorse 
the Rural Schools Center, which is now called the Rural Schools Network, I suppose, only if it was funded out of superintendent's State Department of Education budget itself, not the overall public school budget. Originally, the superintendent had it in the public schools budget and has not indicated to me one way or the other whether uh, she will pull it out of that to win the support of what is uh, an influential stakeholder group in the school boards association or whether she will continue to leave it in the public school budget. Stay tuned for that on Thursday. Right, and some differences. It'll be interesting to see how she addresses uh, them, how, how Ibarra addresses them. Um, Ibarra has wanted more money for operational funding for districts. The governor wants a fairly sizable $15 million line item for insurance costs for districts, insurance costs, so maybe two different ways of approaching the same issue. Uh, we'll see what sort of reconciliation we, we hear in terms of that, some differences in terms of literacy spending. So lots to watch for Thursday morning. We'll be out in force. We'll have full coverage of that on Thursday. Um, if you need to get caught up on this uh, second week of the legislative session, go to idahoednews.org and uh, check out our coverage from this week. Also check out some other stuff. We are not just covering the legislature and politics. A uh, really good story from uh, from Devin Bodkin, our Eastern Idaho reporter, um, looking at wasted food in the cafeterias, some kind of eye-popping numbers from one Eastern Idaho school district. Uh, they tried to quantify how much... Uh, how much food winds up in waste baskets uh, after the cafeteria? Surprising uh, number. I don't yeah, want to spoil it. Maybe uh, go look for yourself, but I, yeah. I think it's a surprising number uh, if people want to check that out. And a really good profile this week from Andrew Reed, uh, looking at a student leader in the West Ada District. A student who's been accepted to Yale and who helped run uh, a legislator's successful reelection campaign this year. I don't want to spoil too many details of that. I loved that story, and I would That's highly good, recommend good uh, checking it out. In the meantime, Please follow us at Idaho Ed News on Twitter. That's where we're going to break all of our legislative news every single day. Uh, once again, though, I want to thank everybody for listening. We will be back next week on Friday to summarize Education Week and to give you all the important details from Superintendent Ibarra's budget presentation. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week. 